0: so uh no more about gel code. when the force don't you call in them more importantly love. exciting and... well happy new year matthew
1: well i thought it was going to be until i watched this episode of the love boat no <laughs> And I thought, well, that's what I get for not getting David a Christmas present. Here, watch this turd. <laughs> <laughs> ugh, well, your uh, goal is for these shows for me to hate
0: everything. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> my God, this uh, was. Uh, Apparently we're we're not doing the light and frothy pleasantries leading up to introducing Oh, the show. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's just amazing. Well, let's get right to it. Hi, Tutti Fruities. This is TV Talkaholics number 14. It is January of 2021, and I wish you a happy new year. Apparently, Matthew does not share that sentiment.
1: If this is what being a talkaholic has to be, I'm about to get sober. <laughs>
0: It was, I mean, I have to admit, we had looked at this for a couple of months ago and then got side sidetracked or whatever. I forget why it changed, but um when we watched it the first time, I was like, ooh, this is rough. But I had already put in the time for it. I'd already kind of done a little bit of legwork and and uh, it's fine. It's just
1: it just it
0: so many questions Mm -hmm. from watching this.
1: Not just this episode. It's not Nancy McKeon's fault. It's nobody's fault, but Aaron Spelling.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, for those that don't know, I am David Almeida. I'm the guy you send money to every month to be able to listen to this. And my co-host is the inimitable Matthew Arder.
1: And I am the minion that has to watch this crap for
0: free. (laughs) I have offered to share the Patreon money with you, and you will not take a penny. I want your money, David. No, <laughs> I'm
1: trying to prove to you in the long run that I'm not after you for your money. Okay, you're tr- just <laughs> you're trying to put forth that narrative. So when we get to
0: season nine and it finally
1: happens, people will be like, "Oh, good, he wasn't wasn't for his money."
0: <laughs> when the when the will they or won't they becomes the will they. <laughs> yeah. Okay. why did they? (laughs) Why? Oh, brother. It always ends
1: up as a why did they?
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's so true. It is so true. Uh, So yes, we decided to do this Love Boat episode because we had been kind of on the hunt for other shows in which the Facts of Life cast members had appeared. And we stumbled upon this. It was you that found this, actually. I blame you. I'm How dare fairly you sure. I'm i dare you, sir? I'm fairly sure that you were the one that originally brought this to my attention. Well, by
1: looking at Nancy McKeon's IMDB, if that is the case, if looking at someone's IMDB is the is the cause for a guilty, <laughs> guilty plea, then I guess throw the book at me,
0: but come on. <laughs> This is, this is and, oh, the okay. entire hour is going to be us. Just whose fault? It's it's your fault. We had to watch. No, it's your fault. And just, it's not that bad. It really isn't.
1: It's just on. The, it is one hundred percent love boat material. It is one hundred percent love boat material. Uh, and I get. <laughs> I get. That the love boat somehow miraculously
0: ran for like what eight years? Try 10 cheese and crackers. And holy fuck balls. I was shocked too.
1: Now I get it. And it is cotton candy. I get it. It's mm-hmm. it's just it's pot for your for your brain, I guess. I don't know what to call it. But there's such a thing as too much cotton candy to where it's just like this is making me throw up yeah like i just like the stupidity that we watched the the terrible acting (laughs) the terrible writing and i know it's a love boat so get off my back i get it i get that (laughs) like mm, but jesus christ lamont
0: yeah, no, no. It's got it's got a lot of a lot of rough stuff in this episode, and thankfully, see, disagree with me if you will. I think the Nancy McKeon storyline was the strongest of the three.
1: Well, yeah, but that's like saying, well, like for me, that's like being the skinniest person at Weight Watchers. I mean, <laughs> you're still at Weight Watchers. <laughs> Matthew, push away from the buffet, and you won't have to be there anymore. Anyway, anyway. Oh my. God. Uh, well, don't get me wrong. I love a good love boat. I love a good exactly. love boat.
0: It's that, that's it. We are the, the. If you haven't already caught on, that we are going to be shitting a lot of shit on this episode because of a lot of not good things about it. But I, I'm with you. I'm right there saying, and I don't. Have memories that I hated this show. I remember thinking this show was kind of fun when I was ten. <laughs> and it is
1: it It's not not fun, no, but when you're watching it with a critical eye and you're not just you know stoned out of your mind on your couch, and you know, Lamont from Sanford and Son shows up with Jimmy Walker, and you're like, <laughs> "Hey, I like them.
0: I know. They, I recognize them. They exist. It's,
1: wonderful, well, Telma Hopkins. Telma Hopkins was in it, and she's magnificent. Always lovely. Yeah. Um,
0: well, let's before we start talking about the nuts and bolts sure. of the inner episode, Matthew. You know, you know. I did my research, and I want to talk about the show and the circumstances and all that. And I promise I'll try to clock it in under fourteen hours. Okay. Sure. There you go. Yeah. So this is Love Boat, season three, episode 12. So we're only in the third season of a 10-season run that spanned 250 episodes, which is, I mean, it was a Saturday night staple. I think it didn't it premiere in the nine o'clock Saturday night slot, and it just never moved. It, it was a slam dunk in the ratings.
1: Well, when you tell me it had 200 episodes, <clears throat> what that means to me is that it had 600 storylines.
0: Yeah, because exactly. Every
1: episode and I found this I guess I found this out watching this episode at the beginning they show you the three different storyline names. Yep. And are written by three different people. Mhm. So I didn't like remember that either. One storyline has nothing to do with, there's no through line other than they are all on one boat. Yeah. That is the only, the boat is the through line. I didn't yeah. realize that, that ever, that there was zero, like Nancy <laughs> maybe never encounters Lamont ever.
0: No. Well, no, they, 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 they no, there is no, they do not cross the streams. That would be very, very bad. The only thing is you can tell that they did that. They do have the structure of, well, at some point, you know, uh, at page 10 of this script that we're writing, we need to be at dinner. And then the next scene can be the next morning at the pool. And then, of course, they they come into port. So there's a point where they can get off the ship. So, people can go away if they need to go away. So, you know, they have this sort of loose structure, but I'm with you. When I saw three different titles with three different sets of writers, I was like, oh, clearly, as a kid, I wouldn't have been watching for that. But yeah, three completely 100% isolated stories.
1: So, it makes me wonder then if, like, you, David Almeida, are a writer for the Love Boat, if you Dream sit job, down in
0: continue. Room- <laughs>
1: <laughs> you said Oh my god, wouldn't that be fucking amazing um, Not now so much because of the Celebrities that you would have to write for But like, you'd be writing for like Real Housewives and shit like that
0: Oh, or, oh no, no, I'm talking or, about a, if someone came back With a time machine and said, we can take you back To 1977 and you two can be In the writer's room for The Love Boat And start writing scripts for fucking Ann Miller and uh, You know, Jerry Stiller And <laughs> All the legends. and So
1: my question is, if you're a writer for the love boat, do you sit in your office and write like 15 storylines and turn them in? And then like a director every week goes, Oh, let's do this storyline from this shelf and this storyline from this shelf. Or do you three people as writers sit in a room together every week? You know what I mean? Like a regular writer's room. Yeah. Because you're, your storylines aren't going to intertwine at all
0: yeah and so, it, yeah one of those like okay do we and and as the producer of the show or the, the the show runner yeah do you have a oh we've got jerry stiller and ann mira this week we need to find there's a husband and wife yeah you know thing but based on the guests this story would probably match up well for this person yeah you wonder or does do the writers say okay here are the guests yeah. And, you know, Matthew, you're handling the Demond Wilson, Telma Hopkins, Jimmy Walker story. David, it's up to you to write Nancy McKeon and the other dudes. Uh, that's a good question. You wonder because that is a lot of fucking for for an hour long show. A third of an hour is it's three mini TV shows. Yeah. yeah all rolled into one. And maybe that's what the appeal was, that if you don't like this, something else is going to be around the corner in a couple minutes every week. It's like
1: being on a buffet line on a cruise ship. If you don't like this, there's, there'll be some something something coming up. There'll be yeah. mac and cheese down the road a little bit.
0: <laughs> but one of the things I didn't really I had without looking at it with an analytical critical eye until just now watching this earlier. Um is that every episode typically had a um some type of a comedic story and then a romantic comedy story yeah. and then a drama. Yeah. So if, if you think of it, the the comedy story in this episode is the the one involving Julie's birthday mm. and the romantic comedy, more of the screwball comedy, is the demand wilson jimmy walker telma hopkins right. uh, story and the drama would be the nancy mckeon and god bless them that's what you do with nancy mckeon oh. but but let's not get to the stories because we want to talk about the love boat i can't do that episodes. say 250 episodes yeah. oh god i we know <laughs> it on the world i know well this was as you said earlier an aaron spelling production Now, a lot of people might think, yeah, Aaron Spelling was a titan of television in the 70s and 80s and beyond. Well, I was looking back. I'm like, where where did he start out? Turns out Aaron Spelling in the 60s was was an actor and a writer. He didn't act in much. But starting in 1965, he began producing shows like The Mod Squad and The Rookies, which were cop shows. And then in the 70s, we get into Family, Charlie's Angels. The Love Boat, followed by Fantasy Island. In the 80s, we get Dynasty, Beverly Hills 90210, which spills over into Melrose Place. And then Seventh Heaven and Charmed. I mean, there were millennials who grew up watching Charmed. And it's like, that's an Aaron Spelling show. Mm -hmm. That's freaking crazy to me that I I had forgotten that his run was so vast. So, Matthew, Mm -hmm. picture it november 17th 1979 Oof. i know this was long long before you were born mm-hmm. but thanksgiving is less than a week away so what would you want to watch on a saturday night
1: well i'm sure charlie brown thanksgiving is on and uh at some point uh
0: no <laughs> the the only thing i can attribute to the weird schedule this particular night is i'm like Because Thanksgiving's coming. Are kids out of school yet? Are they just running shit? Not that there's that many Thanksgiving specials. But uh, CBS at 8 o'clock is running Puff the Magic Dragon and the Land of the Living Lies. Like Puff the Magic Dragon with the Burgess Meredith version?
1: I think so. Oh, I do kind of like that version.
0: Yeah, and this is the sequel to the 1978 original Puff the Magic Dragon, and there is a third one that comes out in 1982. So this is the second of a trilogy, apparently. That's just weird, because Puff the Magic Dragon isn't a Thanksgiving story. No, it's a stoner story. (laughs) Exactly. And then at 8.30 after this, we have a Connecticut rabbit in King Arthur's court. (laughs) I shit you not. You know what it is? It's a Chuck Jones produced Bugs Bunny special that they would do in the 70s. Oh, where yeah. they did the, the Mark Twain Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court, but it's a Connecticut Rabbit because it's Bugs Bunny.
1: Okay. I remember I, I, when you said it, I was like, why does that sound familiar? But yeah, it's a Bugs Bunny thing.
0: Yeah. Now, opposite Love Boat because Love Boat's on at nine o'clock. Nine o'clock on CBS, Matthew, is the premiere, the world premiere of the TV movie Salem's Lot oh there was a tv version of the movie Mm-hmm. originally the original adaptation of the stephen king novel which came out in the mid-70s was this 1979 tv movie adaptation and it was done in two parts on two saturday nights because you know when you think of thanksgiving matthew what, are, what do you want to bookend thanksgiving with in your saturday night movie schedule a, a tv movie miniseries event about a dude who returns to his hometown in Maine to discover that all of the inhabitants are becoming vampires.
1: That's one of the movies that completely turned me off of horror films and made me scared of dead people. And it is it has stayed with me, Salem's Lot. Oh, I, really? This one in particular? But I remember my parents watching Salem's Lot and just, it was, it traumatized me. Oh. <clears throat> like to this day, I can't, I don't like cemeteries. I don't like dead people i don't like funerals funeral like- i don't go to funerals you know that yeah um but it's ugh, ugh,
0: salem's lot anyway go ahead so i won't be watching that I <laughs> no. watch the love boat. <laughs> well thank god we're watching the love boat right now because that's gonna be a must miss for matthew um but here is the deal this is a weird cbs schedule because of this puff the magic dragon and this bugs bunny special typically uh, it looks like they rotated some mini series in the eight o'clock slot, but uh, scheduled, sort of the hard scheduled thing, was the Bad News Bears TV show. Mm. Uh, and occasionally, one day at a time, would be moved to Saturday. And this is where all versions of the Stockard Channing show attempted to take root and did not succeed. Oh, bless her. Uh, we've we've discussed that before about what a fucked up. They short long story short, too late. It was a sitcom and it wasn't working, so they took it, changed the name of it from stockard Channing in Just Friends to The stockard Channing Show. Mm-hmm. Changed some of the names, changed the apartment, changed some of the relationships, but kept the yeah. entire original cast. Yeah. So
1: suddenly her neighbor or whatever, but it was a different name and it was it was just yeah. weird
0: it just seems like on cbs the eight to nine o'clock slot was really just a filler uh dumping ground in preparation for the cbs saturday night movie which was on at nine and that was their way to i'm sure pulling the ratings because you know you're home saturday night let's watch a movie three whole channels to choose from you know but let's click over matthew to nbc and see what they have to offer at eight o'clock p.m the wonderful Chips. Mm. At nine o'clock, BJ and the Bear. Well, now that was actually the name
1: of the first film I ever did that went direct to DVD. <laughs> it was a,
0: a parody, sort of. <laughs> um, were, were you the, the BJ or the Bear? Which which role did you play? Yes. <laughs> was, was there a fursuit involved?
1: Well, it was suit shall we say it wasn't Here. like there, there was no zipper i mean well there yeah there was a zipper but it wasn't on the suit <laughs> and it was anyway, anyway bj
0: and the bear yes the TV moving show. on moving on and then at 10 o'clock was this weird um oh, oh and and i should say uh and at one point bj and the bear did get moved back to the eight o'clock slot so that the nine o'clock hour could be cleared to make room for sanford the Sanford and son reboot without the sun. Speaking of demand Wilson, cause Lamont was busy
1: doing Emmy award winning work on shows like the love boat.
0: <laughs> and uh, this being November of 1979, Matthew, there was a brand new show on NBC that premiered on Saturday nights. Do you remember what, uh, what that show's name is? No, it's, it's called the facts of life. I don't know I if you heard on a it. Wednesday. I thought it was on a Wednesday. No, started on either Friday or Saturday. It might have been both because they yeah. set it free. Different Strokes was Wednesday, but then they put Hello, Larry, thinking that was going to be the big ratings thing, and then it flopped. But it wasn't until Season 2 when they brought it back to pair it up and clump it with Different Strokes that it started to build its audience. Yeah, Season 1, they were either Fridays or Saturdays. Huh. And then later, it would move permanently to Saturdays and find great success there. But yeah. And then at 10 p.m. was a show called A Man Called Sloan. Have you ever heard of this? No. It starred Robert Conrad. It ran for a half a season. And it was an amalgam. I'm going by, um, I think this is from Wikipedia or IMDb, one of the two. It's an amalgam of elements from numerous spy series of the previous 15 years, including The Man from UNCLE, Mission Impossible, and Robert Conrad's own The Wild Wild West. It was one of the most expensive series produced that season, and it failed to gain an audience, was canceled after 12 episodes. So that's why we never heard of it. So now we're getting on to ABC, Matthew. The third and final choice at 8 o'clock p.m., The Ropers.
1: Oh God. (laughs) I do not look fondly at the 70s. It just was it was people I mean, other
0: than you well, I mean, I do, but not God, entertainment was just awful. Well, this is 79, where we're you know, the 70s are winding down, you know, both chronologically and I think artistically, because so many of the great shows were 69 and 70, like the Mary Tyler Moore shows and the all in the families and uh, Carol Burnett and, and that type of stuff. So yeah, this was a, a transitional time. The Ropers, Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, if there's ever a better example of that than the facts of life, I don't know what is. But I honestly, I look fondly on the Ropers because Jeffrey Tambor is just brilliant. He, I, he is so goddamn funny. And wacky and, you know, commits so hard to the bizarre scripts that they present him with. I'm just like, he he has all the props from me. I guess he's turned out to be a monster now, I guess. Yeah. I guess that's like, I can't, I'm not supposed to like him personally now. Is that a thing? I never fully got that story, but.
1: Well, it's funny how people pick and choose, isn't it? Who they can separate the art from the artist from and who they can't. Mm -hmm. i'm fascinated i know um, ted danson has a has a new show coming out called mr mayor and i'm fascinated that he has been completely absolved of doing blackface other people have had it ruin their career not ted danson
0: well didn't he do it at the behest of his girlfriend at the time which was Whoopi goldberg i didn't know that there
1: were um there was a clause in why or when you did it. I just thought that everybody was like, oh my God, you put on blackface when you were in middle school. You're a terrible person. Yeah. and I mean, I agree. You shouldn't yeah. do it, but I just don't know why Ted, anyway.
0: No, you're, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. But I feel like that one, number one, it was, it was a while ago. Well, and so number.
1: He gets the and, pass. Okay.
0: Well, no you don't get a pass, but the same way the facts of life can use the word retarded in an episode, it was in a time where to do so didn't mean what it would mean if you did or said it now. Like if if Ted Danson did blackface now, he went on Instagram and did blackface now. I think that is a much greater infraction because it's like, dude, you could say back then you didn't know any better, though yeah, you coulda shoulda known better even still. You were dating an African American. Yeah. But she I I swear to God it was she was involved somehow. I really do. But any who's anyway. Um so then at 8:30 on ABC after the Ropers. Ropers was the spinoff of Three's Company, by the by. That was where the landlords left. And uh with losing the Ropers, that gave us Mr. Furley. That got Don Knott's back onto network television. And I didn't have a problem with the Ropers. I was never mad at them. Uh but I I really think I prefer the Mr. Furley years.
1: Well, the Roper, it was just that the Ropers, it was like their shtick was funny when it was for three minutes at a time and Mm -hmm. him being horrible to her. But when it was a whole episode of him just being horrible to her, you're like, this, ugh, (laughs) leave (laughs) him.
0: Why are you (laughs) with this asshole? Yeah. Since when do you have a red-blooded American husband that doesn't want to fuck? And she wasn't hideous. Audra Lindley, for a woman her age, they were trying to make out like she was fucking... Turns out, turns out she
1: was 27 when they were filming. <laughs> did
0: you know that? Did you know? She was younger than Suzanne Somers. A lot of people don't know. I saw that. I clicked on something on the internet that told me that, so I know it's true.
1: said, <laughs> you will not believe Mrs. Roper, and I did not believe it.
0: <laughs> but, yeah... And honestly, I remember even as a kid, I didn't like the way he would laugh to the audience. Like his his digging at her, and then he would turn and like in an aside be like, <laughs> I'm laughing because I'm proud of myself. Yeah. For Norman insulting Fells. say what?
1: Norman Fells, just he's a vaudeville actor. Anyway.
0: Yeah. But it was weird that th- that was something he was clearly encouraged and directed to do. It was yeah. always a an aside laugh to the audience, almost breaking the fourth wall. Yeah. And I remember as a kid even thinking, "All right, this that's weird. That that doesn't seem to be of the same uh, theatrical uh, idiom as the rest of the show and the sitcom genre completely." And this is why you ate alone at lunch, isn't it, David? <laughs>
1: Nobody wants to sit and talk about Norman Fell's acting choices on The Ropers, kids? Guys, come on.
0: (laughs) No, I don't want to play kickball. I want to talk about Laverne and Shirley. (laughs) Can you believe they
1: moved the whole show to LA? You guys.
0: I know. guys. Really? It was supposed to be about working class people, and now they put them in the beautiful burg of Hollywood trying to be actresses. We've completely abandoned the situational premise and the precipitating circumstance of this series. Nobody? No? Oh, well. Maybe I at was, lunch? Yeah. <laughs> I, does anybody want my peanut butter jelly sandwich? And then... Are we on the boat yet? Are what? we on the boat yet? Nope. No, okay. We're hours away. Hours away from starting. Got it. Got it. So after the Ropers was this weird show called Detective School. Mm. It was a short-lived half series only was 13 episodes and it was an assortment of students who went to night school to learn basic detective skills but who kept being caught up in real criminal cases and getting themselves and their teacher also an inept private investigator into trouble <laughs> whoa green light that shit. wow so uh good. Yeah. only lasted half a season go figure and then at nine o'clock This episode of The Love Boat, Mm. and at 10 p.m. followed by Fantasy Island, I did not look up which episode of Fantasy Island, because, you know, one does have to have limits to one's crazy, really.
1: There there has to be a line that you refuse to cross.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And I meant to, and I forgot to. (laughs) So... How about we run down the cast for those of you who may not have watched the episode it is available on YouTube and I did post the link on the patreon so you should have had uh, the ability to watch it if you have done your homework and want to get a passing grade in this class, you need to do that homework, Uh, but the cast of the wonderful love boat originally put together as a vehicle for Gavin McLeod. He said that that nutty wise-cracking side character, that hilariously funny guy on the Mary Tyler Moore show, let's make him an authority figure and give him nothing to do, just like we're going to do with Mrs. Garrett on The Facts of Life.
1: That charisma, he's one of those people that I just like who saw him and was like, "Oh, the charisma
0: of <laughs> of fucking Gavin McCloud is I mean- just- you liked him on Mary Tyler Moore, I hope. But again,
1: when he was he he would come in, ba da ba ba da and yeah. then he was gone. And you're like, yeah. oh, I love that, Maury. <laughs> I just oh,
0: okay. I, I, yeah, you, you said Maury. It's it was actually Murray, but I was thinking also Maury Amsterdam on the Dick Van. D- Imagine if they had said, you know what, we're going to give Maury Amsterdam and Rose Marie their own spinoff show.
1: Writing for the newsroom. <laughs> uh, they've gone from written. They don't write comedy anymore. Now they write news.
0: Yeah. How many times there were rumors of a Jack and Karen show, a spinoff from Will and Grace, and all I could think is that is the worst idea ever. Do you not understand why that's a horrible idea? You what? Hand the two characters
1: that single-handedly
0: killed sitcoms. Oh, their own no. show. Yeah, that
1: is a terrible idea wow Ugh. i'm not Can sure i'd
0: go that far but uh just the idea of funny side characters you don't always want to put them in the middle just saying so uh yeah that's uh okay so that's us shitting on gavin mcleod let us now shit on bernie capel and uh bernie the capel is the
1: sex symbol they made him the sex <laughs> symbol
0: <laughs>
1: gopher yeah. is clearly cuter Gopher is clearly cuter than the Doc.
0: Well, yeah, Bernie Capel plays the the ship's doctor. His name is Adam Bricker is the character, but everyone calls him Doc. And yeah, he's the one that's always chasing the skirts and getting tail and having a date with this lady in the bar and he is he is fucking swimming in the tang. And I, I'm like okay, he's a he's a lovely charming nice appealing actor he started out doing uh a lot of guest spots on bewitched he he is the classic character actor he would talk in interviews and say william asher would call him up and say hey can you play a german lieutenant hey can you play a drunken cop hey can you play uh george washington and bernie capell always said and as an actor you know, Matthew, we always just say, yes, I can. Yep, where, where do I show up? I I need the fucking work. And so that's kind of where he got schooled in being this versatile character actor. And then he was, uh, of course, Siegfried, the leader of chaos on the show Get Smart with the wonderful Don Adams. And he was magnificent. I mean, there's nothing wrong with him or what he does, but even looking back to pictures and saying, well, and the, he was 55 when the series. Oh started.
1: my God, how old? I'm shut up. Stop. Your... <laughs> <laughs> Stop. Stop. No, nobody's getting tail at 55. <laughs> that lonely old man yeah. was whacking it in his stateroom.
0: <laughs> <Stop. laughs> But the thing is to look back at him with the 1970s aviator glasses, with the beginnings of the comb over, and you're like, if if you had said that this was Rabbi Moskowitz passing through, it's just kind of like, he's he's really, casting-wise, he's more of a nebbish than a sex symbol, really. Yeah, I don't know how, I don't know who he
1: blew to get this part, <laughs> but like not even a body on him. And it's like, you know, you had Robert Wagner. There like, it
0: should have been that type who was just. Oh God. Yeah. Or maybe somebody younger, a a younger doctor character. I'm sorry to be ageist as as someone in my fifties also, but I would like, you know, if someone came to me and said, David, we're going to cast you as the guy who is fucking everything under the sun. I'd be like, "Uh, yeah. You don't think you have other choices there, huh? Really? Um but that's but but moving on with this, this is a point I want to make. The other cast members are Fred Grandy as Burl Smith, otherwise known as Gopher, the the, the ship's purser, and then we have Ted Lang as Isaac Washington, the African-American bartender, and Lauren Touise as Julie, your cruise director and uh, cocaine connection, if you need a little bit of blow. Um, and lastly, added in season two, so she is here, is Jill Whelan as Vicki Steubing, Gavin McCloud's daughter, who, uh, parent of the year, makes his daughter fucking work on his ship. So, but of that cast, <laughs> the fuckability factor on that cast, Fred Grandy was cute. That's all I will give you. He was, I would never use the word handsome or sexy to describe Fred Grandy, even at his at his <laughs> most cuteness. I mean, I would have followed him into the steam room. I'm just saying. <laughs> I mean, I would have hit it too. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying from a shallow TV casting point of view, this point that we're making that like, so Doc is the sex symbol? That's, right. that's the fuckability factor? Now but they does did- that-
1: does that speak to an all male like hollywood toxic masculinity casting you know what i mean mm-hmm. it's like people like you you know as well as i do straight men who look like doc are the first ones to be like well yeah i think i'm pretty good looking no
0: yeah. motherfucker you're not yeah, like, they walk up to the 22-year-old porn star yeah. with with all the confidence in the world. And next thing you know, they're marrying this trophy wife. And you're like, really? You want that on top of you? Really?
1: So, I mean, wasn't Aaron Spelling famous for jiggle television and everything? Oh, yes. So he clearly wasn't casting for women to watch his shows.
0: Uh, no, that's true. It's certainly not Charlie's Angels. Holy God. But um, yeah, they did now at one point later add... <laughs> The wonderful Ted McGinley. Jefferson Darcy on Married with Children.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah.
0: The man who's considered the the man who kills more TV shows. (laughs) And it's like, that is just such a fucking gross oversimplification. (laughs) He was on Happy Days. They kind of hoped that he would fill the gap left by Ron Howard for the squeaky clean, handsome young guy. And uh, that didn't really work out very well. And then uh, he was on this. I think he was on this show six of the seasons or four of the seasons. Yeah, he joined in 83. He was on the last four seasons. It's that thing of, well, you fucking killed that show, didn't you? And it's like the, the four years I was on it. Yeah, Damn. like like cousin Oliver killed the Brady Bunch. It, listen to an interview with Robbie Rist. He's like, I was on nine episodes out of what, 30 that season? He's like, I did nine shows. How the fuck did I kill a TV show? (laughs) But uh, that's neither here nor there. But the funny thing is that when they finally did step up and say, maybe we should get a dude, you know, and uh, uh, let's see. John Travolta's taken. uh, (laughs) Adrian Zmed is already cast. Tom Selleck's not famous yet. Eric Estrada's already on chip. Let's get that Ted McGinley guy. He's going to really boost. And, and it,
1: they didn't know what they were doing with
0: George Clooney. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Clooney was out there floundering, or he was about to be anyway. But um, yeah, so that's the main uh, suspects, our, our usual suspects. As I synopsize, as we talk about the show, I am going to do my best to talk about the characters, meaning we have Captain Steubing, mm. Doc, Gopher, Isaac, Julie, Vicky. I'm going to try to use their character names. But as far as the other people, there are so many guest stars, there's too many people. I'm going to say, now we get back to DeMond Wilson and Jimmy Walker. I'm going to try to do that. And uh, please join me if you, if you can, or if you will. I will
1: and, be calling the Love Boat cast, um, the blonde chick, um, <laughs> Murray, and um, the black guy, Gofer, and um, the old dude. That's <laughs> and I will be referring to um Damond Wilson as Lamont. And, um, You've been doing that already. Nancy, Nancy McCain will be Joe. And um, <laughs> and um Jimmy Walker will be Jimmy Walker.
0: Yeah. Or JJ. You could call him JJ. Yeah, I think no, certainly he... that's not inappropriate. Um yeah, so this is a single camera show, meaning it's shot like a movie. They have one camera. It's not done like a play, like a live show, uh, a live studio audience thing. We've got a laugh track here. And motherfucker, we got a laugh track. <laughs> you don't think it helps when they tell you what parts are funny and where you're supposed to laugh? You don't appreciate that. I typically don't really notice a
1: laugh track a whole lot, but. It's when it becomes like the Big Bang Theory laugh track where every oh. line is given a laugh. It's like, I was like, <clears> there <throat> it is. Okay.
0: And, and Big uh, Bang has a live studio audience. They just have to oversweeten it. Even in the newer Will and Grace, as you can hear, it's like, guys, come on. Ooh. But any Um uh, Yeah. So I think we're ready to get into talking about the people guest starring on this show um before we get there before we let's let's step out of this thicket of briar that i've laid before us and talk about the theme song is it not one of the greatest fucking tv show theme songs ever written and i'm not being ironic
1: no yeah it absolutely is it absolutely is and it's and it's perfect it's i mean nothing says that time period like mm-hmm. it's got that almost disco, but yeah. like and uh, yeah, it's um. W-
0: didn't it end up on the charts? I think it might have, yeah. But yeah, it does have that disco. Walk-a-chicka, 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 yeah. it's, it's got that beat going on, but it's it's the perfect representation because it is a new show with a lot of older people in it, old school. Stars of yesteryear. So to have that lounge singery Jack Jones vocal, and love, life's oh my god, reward. it's just it, the crooning. To have a crooner doing a TV theme song, it, it, I, I'm sorry, it is one of those. It should never have worked, and it is fucking amazing.
1: Do you you know, it was composed by Charles Fox. Do you know who wrote the lyrics? Uh, who wrote the lyrics? The wonderful Paul Williams.
0: Oh, Paul He was married to your friend Carol Lee briefly, he was. wasn't he?
1: <laughs> and they used Jack Jones' version until the last season. It was replaced by Dionne Warwick singing the title Ew.
0: on the last season. Ew. <laughs> that's, that's weird. But yeah, it, it, do you know what other movie, do, do you know what other TV show theme Charles Fox wrote, Matthew? No. I think you do. You just don't know that you know.
1: Did he write what? He didn't write Facts of Life.
0: No, no, he didn't write. I'm going to I'm going to do a little excerpt, and I think you will immediately know. I can name that tune in three notes. Okay, three notes. dun dun, dun. Wonder Woman. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, gays can communicate telepathically, if there was ever any question. Um... Oh, oh, last thing I want to say about the opening theme. Oh yeah, you know how we obsess over theme songs and the clips they include in theme songs, mm-hmm. and how much we have talked about in the facts of life. We hate when there is a clearly staged stand there and look at the camera and smile. Yeah, this is where we're gonna put your. Th- All of them are yeah. them standing there and just. <laughs> I'm just standing here, happy. <laughs> And they have this wipe, this anchor, this gigantic blue anchor that moves from the bottom of the screen to the top of the screen. And it wipes from the actor's credit to some type of B-roll picture of the cruise ship, picture of Cabo or the Caribbean. And then the next actor, when it went into reruns and they had to cut out time for more commercials, all that B-roll fucking went away. It was just anchor, wipe, actor, anchor, wipe, next actor. They cut Uh all that in-between shit out. Huh. And um, a couple of those are clearly the actors standing in front of a blue screen, where they later put a picture of the ocean behind them. I think Bernie Capels and Jill Wheelens, in particular, where it's I'm looking, I'm looking out over the ocean, away from the camera, and then I turn to the camera and I'm like, oh, <laughs> there,
1: there's a lot of blue screen usage in yeah. the love oh, god,
0: yes. Indeed. Uh, yes. So, is uh, you ready to talk about the guest cast? Oh, my God. Let's do it. Yep. They list them alphabetically at the beginning of the show. And thank God, here in season three, somebody got smart and started adding pictures of the actors. Before, it used to just be the text of the name. And somebody did say, you know, everybody watching this show is not going to know everybody who's on it. So they said, how about we take us a pic in the same thing, stand there and smile and look at the camera. But thankfully it's only a couple seconds long. So we are now into the love boat seasons where the person's face is shown with their name, which is really nice and helpful. I find.
1: I didn't know that that was, there was another way. Uh,
0: First name again, guest starring in alphabetical order, Christopher Connolly. you know him, you love him, Right because he was on that, um, uh, yeah. Turns out he was on Peyton Place from 1964
1: to 1969. Who did he play in, in the show?
0: He plays the love interest for Lauren Tewes for, for uh, uh, Julie, the cruise director. Okay, okay, yep. got it. Yep. I was like, who
1: the fuck is Lauren Tewes, David? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Next on the list, Alex Cord.
1: The okay, yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Alex Cord from, um, uh, okay, yep. he's, he's going to be on a show called Airwolf in a few years. But I mean, working working character actor, but just not a big series or one role that identifies him. Alex Cord plays uh, the father of Nancy McKeon.
1: Yeah, he was also in an episode of Murder She Wrote and an episode of Hotel, where he played a character named Preston in both episodes. Um, But he was, you may remember him from a wonderful Christmas special TV movie called Have I Got a Christmas for You? (laughs) What? Where a group of um, a community center of Jews decide to help their Christian friends to have a decent Christmas by taking over their responsibilities for Christmas. So wackiness ensues when a bunch of Jews try to do these jobs that they've never attempted before.
0: I have to watch that right now, immediately. I need that in my life.
1: <laughs> the cast is amazing. It's Milton Burrow. The cast is like hard. Like, these are some... <laughs> big deals in this cast have um,
0: I I'm I'm looking I'm looking around please tell me it's on YouTube boom got it oh God there's a facts of life what? What?
1: what are you kidding me Kim Fields is in it no Yes. oh we've got to wait 12 months
0: but no it's great we're we're set for Christmas now next year holy fuck balls so next on the list sydney goldsmith um who did he play
1: who was <laughs> he in this show
0: it's a she sydney with a y the wonderful um, she is <laughs> she plays the other love interest of demand wilson the other uh, african-american lady that's not talma hopkins right i've got notes for her you do <laughs> okay <laughs> got it yeah, the uh, fuck is that okay yeah <laughs> but she would be in the cotton club in 1984. so coming up she does have an appearance in that Richard Gere movie and she just came off of being in all versions of the Stockard Channing shows that we just previously described she was a regular on those <laughs> but I'm just gonna say it we're three guest stars in Mm-hmm. right now and i'm like what the fuck is happening i do not recognize or know any of these people and now when i on un- imdb them i'm like i still don't know these people yeah. uh, then next telma hopkins hallelujah year, god i love telma hopkins like legitimately i fucking love her huge fan she was half of dawn on the wonderful tony orlando and dawn She was a regular on Bosom Buddies, on Give Me a Break, on Family Matters. And here's an interesting factoid. She did 93 episodes of Family Matters. And then after that, the next series she did was 91 episodes. So as many as she did on Family Matters of a show called Half and Half, which ran from 2002 to 2006. And it's about two young tween or teenaged African American girls who are half sisters and get into wacky situations. And uh, it was on the USA Network. That's why no one heard of it, and we—it's like flew in under the radar. And um,
1: Toma Hopkins, how Toma Hopkins? She's kind of like the, like I look at her as the African
0: American Joan Cusack. She's just always good in like, yeah. What you put her in. It, Agreed. And Telma Hopkins most recently has been on the series Dead to Me, the Netflix series with Christina Applegate and Linda Cardellini, like just last year. That's that's very recent. Telma Hopkins is still fucking doing it and crushing it. She's one of the people that leads the the therapy group that they occasionally. Well,
1: she's them. so old by now. She's probably like 55 or something. Hey, <laughs>
0: <laughs> good thing I'm 52, bitch. Ooh. Good thing. So next in the list of guest stars, Jimmy Walker, JJ from Good Times. Woohoo! A Ooh. face we recognize. There he is. Do do you not have any um any thoughts or feelings about Jimmy? I, Walker, you know?
1: I mean, he he's not Olivier. <laughs> <laughs> we we know why he's here and it's fine. It is what it is. I have to say um, it's the He's the reason um, Florida always fought with Norman Lear because she was like, he's a fucking cartoon. Mm -hmm. She hated the way he was written, the way he portrayed it. And anyway.
0: Yeah. And it wasn't from a um, Esther role being upstaged. It wasn't as much of a vanity thing of this is my show and he's taking over like like Urkel kind of a thing. She was the one saying, this is not a positive way to portray a young black man. She's like, he lives at home with his parents. He's 20 or 21. He's of age where he should be working. There's always this running gag of, you know, Jimmy, you know, JJ, you ain't got a job. What are you doing? Why are you eating our food here? And she was like no 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 this is this is about representation and role models and you are doing a huge disservice to my community and they're like but he says dynamite and people laugh and tune in and buy commercial time so next one demand Wilson son from Sanford and son the wonderful Did, did you ever think he was that funny on Sanford and son no He was. I mean, certainly, you needed a straight man for Red Fox. That was the whole thing of the show. Was it was about Red Fox being the crazy one, and Damon Wilson. I even as a kid, I remember thinking, well, he's just kind of standing there and saying the lines, but it doesn't matter because you're not looking at him. You're looking at Red Fox because Red Fox was fucking insane in all the good, good bad ways that that can mean. Um, So then, next on the list. young actress a young 13 year old unknown actress named nancy mckeon
1: that's true you're talking about like alex cord and connie what's a pussy or whoever the other people were and you're like don't know that person kidney goldsmith and yeah yeah and you're like nancy mckeon the rest of the audience in 1979 was like what the girl from the hallmark commercial
0: yeah exactly (laughs) Can she do more than 30 seconds at a time? And it's interesting that she is in this opening thing. And I mean, getting just about as much screen time is the young boy, the 14 year old boy who is her love interest. Yet he's not here. He's only in the end credits, but his name is Stephen Manley. Mm -hmm. And um, he's still working actor. Some, some gaps in his resume, but he's still out there still working. And, uh, don't you think it's interesting where you're like, what What? her agents were clearly better than his. Nancy
1: McKeon must've had quite an agent behind her. Cause also her brother was on Alice at this point, wasn't he? <gasps> you're right. You are so, totally right. So yeah. she probably, the McKeons seem to have a pretty good, decent agent.
0: So let's start Matthew. Now that we've been talking for 14 hours. Yeah. Tutti fruities. You're welcome. Uh, the brotherhood of the sea is the name of one of the plots. And I believe it is the weakest of the three. So I thought we would start with that, the Brotherhood of the Sea, and just go through that story, which is easy to do because okay. as we said, it is in no way, shape or form connected to anything else.
1: The The only thing I wrote about that one was that um, it speaks to one of my least favorite sitcom tropes, mm-hmm. where they have to create uh, mm-hmm. An even bigger problem than fucking throwing a party for this person. They're they're throwing a birthday party for Julie, but it's a surprise party. So it's like do people in sitcoms not know that their birthday is coming up? Like, yeah, is it completely taking them by surprise? Like, I, I don't know. If somebody was like, hey. On this day, we're we're gonna take you out to dinner. I'd be like, a oh, motherfucker. If there's like fifty people there when I get there, I'm walking out the door. <laughs> yeah. First of all,
0: second <laughs> kind of all,
1: like if ugh, go, go ahead, tell the story.
0: But, but but it's yeah no i I thought you were going to say that your big thing. I know that this contains another big pet peeve of yours that not until you pointed it out to me is now a pet peeve of mine is sitcom lying.
1: Yeah, I have a terrible
0: acting that. to telegraph that I'm lying And um, what what this story is is that it is Julie's birthday. The next day and Captain Steubing has declared why don't we put together a surprise party for her? And it's like, okay, so you've got the three guys. you've got Doc, gopher and um and isaac and we didn't even mention i glossed over it unfortunately i meant to point out that gopher fred grandy would leave show business to go into politics and uh he was uh, a u.s representative from iowa from 1987 to 1995. and and so that's a that's a big deal to become a u.s uh a u.s rep and uh, so good for him. He is still alive, still out there. I think he still makes the occasional appearance. But yeah, so we have the this holy trifecta of men. We have Doc, Gopher, Isaac, and so trying to figure out, well, how are we gonna plan a surprise party for Julie? They uh, they're talking about it, and Julie walks up with a, "Hey guys, what's up?" And we get the Matthew arter special. What the? Uh, we were talking about uh uh our secret society a a secret meeting of a a fraternal society yeah that's the we we call it the brotherhood of the sea and you can't be a part of it because you're a girl and what it ends up being is that to throw her off the scent of them planning her a surprise party they set her a whole bunch of ridiculous tasks like fasting like standing guard having to memorize the first chapter of moby dick and she commits to it i've got to say th- these are this this is the worst of the three stories and these actors still commit to it and they still somehow come out of it with their dignity barely and Uh, She goes along with it in the name of feminism in this, whoa, whoa, whoa. You guys can't have a secret brotherhood and shut me out because I'm a girl. What would Gloria Steinem say about that? So it's all this stupid shit. And that would be fine in and of itself. Because what happens is the denouement, as it were, is that uh, she mentions something to Captain Steubing. And Captain Steubing is like, the fuck are you talking about? Basically, it's like, are you telling me you believe anything those three clowns are fucking telling you? Because and they were
1: so convincing when they were like, the next step is you, you have to, you have to read this book. Yeah, what he said. Yeah, read look, the book. Sure. What?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Cheating in the face, Doc. <laughs> <laughs> and but the deal is. When it becomes apparent to her that she is being had that they're playing a trick on her, she does retaliate, and her retaliation is in their cabins at night uh Doc gets into bed, and his bed collapses underneath him. Isaac goes into the bathroom, shirtless, I will say, not bad, I wouldn't kick that out of bed for eating crackers and uh <laughs> and then um and he gets a bucket of yellow paint dumped on him and uh then a gopher opens up his closet and some type of a mechanism is set up in there whereby he gets like a big old pie in the face and is covered in ripped cream oh. a pie in the face paint dumped on and bed collapsing that is the retaliation of the Three Stooges, for Christ's sake. Exactly. And
1: vaudeville.
0: Yeah. Oh. And the and the extra joke in there is, the party's already happened. And when they reveal the surprise party, they're like, so, are you surprised? And she says, yeah, but not as surprised as you guys are going to be. My birthday is next month. And, and she means it. She's not fucking with them. She's like, yeah, what? So... <laughs> that gives it a little bit of, you know, she knows it's her birthday the next day and why would she wonder why people are acting stupid? But anyway, that whole thing. But the unforgivable part of this whole scenario is that Christopher, oops, help me here. Christopher Connolly, the Peyton Place actor, his guest spot is he plays a travel agent on the ship who is clearly interested in Julie. And she is clearly interested in him, but every time he approaches her about, let's have dinner, let's get together, let's go walk on the deck. Every single time she's like, no, I've got to do this other thing because I have this point to make about being a feminist and blah, blah, blah. So this entire cruise, except for the final night, after she figures out what's going on, she basically is having to push away a dude that is interested in her. She's you know, th- th- this is fucking with her romantic life. And I'm like, oh hell's no. You
1: you, David, would 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 still take the steps to be part of the Brotherhood of Man and get yours. Yeah. <laughs> a real woman, a Gloria Steinem would tell you to get yours and break the barriers.
0: You yeah. Won't. It's like there are 24 hours in a day, girl. You can you can you can knock out a 20-minute little fun time in the closet there next to the life preservers let's get real please uh yeah some cruise director and by the way whenever we come to them this is the plot that utilizes the most of the crew they're always sitting around at the bar they're like literally they don't fucking work that is nothing
1: (laughs) i'm glad we're not doing a rewatch of this because like with Edna's edibles, who's mining the store? You'd be like, who's dri- who's working on the boat?
0: Yeah, who's driving the ship? Because <laughs> Captain Steubing, he's never in the friggin'. Have we ever seen him in the what is it called? The captain's deck? The the I've never seen the captain's deck. No, <laughs> you've tried to swab it once in a while, but. Um... So that's pretty much it. Any other thoughts on uh, that's that is story number one? Any other thoughts, Joy's concerns?
1: No, I hate them all.
0: <laughs> um, our next storyline is "Letter to Baby Cakes," is what it's called, and uh, in this storyline, uh, a rich businessman played by Demond Wilson, that's Sanford and Son, uses his uh, I guess it's a valet, like a personal personal assistant is what we would call it now, which is Jimmy Walker. And uh basically he comes onto the ship with his girlfriend, Talma Hopkins, yeah. and instantaneously, immediately starts making eyes at Sidney Goldsmith. Sydney Goldsmith is the other African-American woman, and is trying to use Jimmy Walker to distract Telma Hopkins so he can fuck around with Sidney Goldsmith. Because if you're gonna have an affair, doing it on a cruise ship in the middle of the ocean, they you there's no way you'd ever be discovered. That's no. that's not a stupid idea, even for a womanizing piece of shit like Damon Wilson in this. And that is without question what he is and what he's playing.
1: And the the other woman that he's after it, again i have two things like she's may west for god's sake mm-hmm. like, he looks up to her and she's literally like has her hand on her hip and is bouncing and like winking and like fixing her hair like yeah. she might as well say come up and see me sometime but Then she opens her mouth later and you find out, oh, she's the 1920s gangster's mall, for God's sake.
0: Yes, yes, she's She's got one of those little voices like this. Hey, you're not going to move me over there. She's about to do the African-American Born Yesterday revival. Who directed
1: that to her? A 1979 African-American woman. They're like, can you sound like that girl and Singing in the Rain? (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
0: Remember? But um, yeah, her character's name is Ginger, of course. Of course it is. And she's, and she's literally playing the dumb bimbo. That is what she's playing. And the thing is that in trying to use Jimmy Walker as a distraction to occupy Talma Hopkins, well, guess what? Telma Hopkins and Jimmy Walker end up on the dance floor. And well, I never noticed your eyes before. And well, the sparks started a- flying and... You know, when when you've got the deliciously doughy Demond Wilson in your bed, but this skinny friggin Q-tip Jimmy Walker, my thing is I find both of them insanely unfuckable. Okay.
1: I have a feeling Jimmy Walker was kind of getting some
0: poon around this time. Oh, God, yeah. Eddie I mean, Murphy talked about in, in his stand up. He was like, I got into show business for the pussy because I was like, if Jimmy Walker could get pussy, I'm fucking everybody. Yeah, well, he stated that explicitly and I'm sorry, Eddie Murphy, he could get it.
1: Well, I think he'd like it. He might make <laughs> you put
0: a dress on, but. <laughs> but the deal is, um, Damon Wilson, the one of the devices in this, it's called Letter to Baby Cakes. It's because a letter from one of his girlfriends, and we know that he has multiples in addition to this one that he's taking on a cruise because he doesn't care about her, because he wants to find another place to fuck other women. It's, it's just such a preposterous premise. And this letter falls out of his jacket. Now, while he's about to put on his jacket, that's where we see Damon Wilson in his white uh, John Travolta disco suit with the black shirt and the big lapels and the big collar unbuttoned all the way down to the navel. He's pear-shaped. He, it's like, this is like women are falling over themselves to fuck this. He's not in
1: shape. No! And, and I, I find think... that when you put somebody who's not in shape
0: in a, in a suit, you want it to be white. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yes, I mean, you know, far be it from me to shame anybody bodily this is this is not this is not that this is a casting thing it's like well we have damon wilson well clearly he's got to play the stud clearly he's the fucking stallion i mean the women fighting over themselves to climb up on that uh, really well
1: and they have the scene where he like literally talma hopkins is turns her back on them and they're in a shop or something, and she pulls him off to the side, and they have a very intense hug <laughs> for about a minute, like behind Toma Hopkins' back. They're not kissing. They're literally just standing there hugging. Yeah. Like, I, I, <laughs> yeah. weird as an actor, you wouldn't be like, I, I, I'm i not going to try to kiss her or anything? Okay. All right. Yeah. We're just going to sneaky little hug over here in the corner
0: (laughs) and this comes with all of the awfulness of things like uh when telma hopkins does find out and he's he's doing this hug with sydney as the name of i call her sydney that's the actress's name they're they're doing this intense hug right out in the open Jimmy Walker was supposed to take Telma Hopkins to shore. This is when they're in port and they, but they're right. I mean, they're walking around with her, with her arm through his, isn't, isn't that such a theatrical convention? Oh, here's my arm, my lady. May I escort you to the yeah. curtains where I'll hug you hardly. Um, so it's like so weird that he is visibly appearing in public attached to this other woman as though nobody else will see that or notice that and word will not reach telma yeah and so when she does catch him he turns to jimmy walker and is like well you fucked this one up like this is all your fault that i'm a piece of shit womanizing asshole and any who's oh well, but i was talking about when he puts his jacket on after we've uh, examined and rubbed one out to his doughy body it's like the letter that falls out of his jacket is a letter from one of the girlfriends to Baby Cakes. And so Talma Hopkins finds it. And she's like, what is this? And he's like, uh, that's not my letter. Uh, I was holding it for someone else. It It's Jimmy Walker's letter. He has someone that calls him Baby Cakes. Well, and it's this woman, Sydney, here. Yeah, that's it. They're together. He's hooking up with her. So... Uh, and I do have a note, I'm I'm talking like DeMond Wilson was doing bad lying. I do have to give him credit. The one thing I will give him for is that Jimmy Walker and all the others are doing this oh, well, this stammering awfulness. DeMond Wilson chooses a different thing where he takes a more fuller authoritative tone. It's still clearly acting and acting differently. But he does say, well, that's not my letter it belongs to jimmy walker like he at least is committing to i'm a fucking liar and we can tell he's lying without it being the stammering awfulness that we've cited so many times in the past yep so uh yeah for all the the body shaming we've just done demand uh bravo (laughs) sir And then by the end, I know you're going to pick yourselves up off the floor, people. When I tell you that in the end, Telma Hopkins and Jimmy Walker fall in love and she tells DeMond to go fuck himself. I'm paraphrasing. And then when he turns to Sydney to be like, well, I guess I'm free now. And Sydney's like, yeah, go fuck yourself. Double dude. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and there it is. That's it. And, uh, uh, anything else in that in that lovely vignette
1: nope <laughs> i got nothing to
0: add to yeah. that. and then lastly finally the good storyline that's a stretch yeah it's called daddy's pride and this is where nancy mckeon plays a young gymnast and uh she is there on the ship with her father played by alex cord and he is your typical like a toddler and tiara parent but with gymnastics he he had won an olympic bronze medal so it's this my girl's gonna win the olympic gold and she's gonna what does he say this young lady's gonna make nadia komenichi look like grandma walton yeah Those are two 1979 references for the price of one, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, so it's just that that standard thing of the parent being the taskmaster, slave driver. But Nancy McKeon has made friends with this snotty little rich boy played by Stephen Manley. So dad is Alex and the kid is Stephen. And when she wants to spend time with Stephen, of course, the dad's like, no, you got to sleep. No, you can't eat. Food. No, you can't do this and that. You have to be, practice, practice, practice. I don't know why we're on a cruise ship, but you have to be practicing your fucking gymnastics all the goddamn time.
1: And here's my question. Please. The wide shots of her practicing her gymnastics.
0: <laughs> that is not Nancy McKeon. Oh, it's so funny how when you have an actress that nobody knows, they did not even try to mask the fact that it was another girl doing the gymnastics. I mean, she had the same color hair and a ponytail, and then she like basically does backflips on a cartwheel off camera. And then Nancy McKean just kind of trot, 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 walks on in. So funny. Yeah, it is. Now, when if, if it had been later, when Nancy McCain was famous, they probably would have made a little more effort to mask the face of the girl.
1: Well, and I can't tell you how many cruise ships I've been on where in the gym is um, a full Olympic sized balance
0: beam. Yeah, oh, standard, isn't it? Does, aren't those built in? Isn't that on the Disney Dream? It's like I've had them take out exercise bikes and put
1: one in for my own personal. <laughs> before I will go on a cruise,
0: it's in my rider. In... <laughs> but um, let's talk about this dad, Alex Cord. Clearly, He's he's a good uh, good at playing the villain, the heavy. He's played that a lot in his career. <sighs> the mustache, everybody had one. The molest, the molestache. Like, <laughs> it, it just. I just want to say this mustache looked a little on the gay side to me. To me, it was it was reading gay, and I don't think he is. But and he certainly wasn't playing gay. He's playing a, a single dad. I don't know why I'm making the lesbian sound, but <laughs> doesn't work. But we do not ever learn where the mother is in this picture, do we? Mm-mm. Just so I sure don't. Um, but yeah. So, but on the flip side, we have this uh, this little boy, this 14 year old, very uh, cocksure, abandoned rich boy that very quickly set up the fact that he's there alone. He's what did I say? He's fourteen. Yeah, he's there alone, and while he's kind of being a bit of a snot to the crew, the the dad, Alex says, uh, "Don't you think your parents might be wondering where you are?" Like, kind of the nice way of saying, "Don't you think you could fuck off now?" Um, he says, uh, "Well, I don't think they're going to find me. Dad is in Paris, and Mom is somewhere in the Caribbean. Yeah, or something like that."
1: So now the love boat just lets like fourteen year olds just book themselves on a cruise. Nineteen
0: seventy nine, children could fly alone. They could buy cigarettes. <laughs> he's not. He's a little bit precious. I'm. I think he's adorable. He is cute. But what they're doing is they're playing the spoiled rich kid who's used to barking orders at people. But. Yeah. They're also trying to do the thing, but, oh, it's because his parents neglect him. He's just, he's just troubled because he's so rich and poor, poor thing. Um, He does try to flirt with Nancy McKeon, but the dad quickly puts the kibosh on that and leaves. Why is
1: Nancy whispering? I feel like all of her lines are, are, oh,
0: you're right.
1: My my dad says I can't have this. It's like. What?
0: Uh, I think um, they have a discotheque on board. That would be yeah. a fun, wouldn't it? You're right. There is kind of a whispery, breathy quality to her voice that we certainly don't get when Joe Palnicek comes along in another year. So uh, that and she looks so young. She looks like a child.
1: Yeah, which made the kiss extremely uncomfortable.
0: Oh, really? I she's thirteen. But he's fourteen, and he looks every bit fourteen. He's not one of those. But it just—it was you know those so... those kids in junior high who had you know full pubes, full <laughs> armpit hair, had to shave every day. Those those you know kids who developed early. No, no, he's still very much uh, you know that sort of gangly, gawky tween looking thing. So I, it didn't. I thought it was. I thought they were well matched. Why didn't you? I just I don't want to watch a little
1: girl kiss a little boy in a romantic way like that. On a cruise ship, like it was just the situation was a, a little adult
0: for me. Okay, but he was comforting her. She was crying because she had had a little bit of a blowout with her dad. She finally she was not doing the gymnastics well, and he yells at her. So she's like, "I want you to love me, but I just can't." Do it. And she runs out. Yeah. And, An arm around her would have gotten that. Would have gotten that trust, I think. Oh, I come guess. across, you, but. Matthew, it's called the love boat, not the arm around boat. So what ends up happening, and uh, this is where, this is the only thing I think is worthy of uh, a David rewrite, a David note to the writers. The other things, are just too awful, too far gone. There's no fixing them. They are what they are. Uh, but with this, there is the point when the dad catches them in the kiss. And he's like go back to the room now and then he goes to son i'm sorry then he goes to little stephen and he says i want you to stay away from my daughter and no this is not happening and so because this little rich kid is used to mouthing off to adults he does say back to him he does give him back he's not a good actor yet hopefully he gets better but um But he says something about, to the effect of, you don't care about her. The only thing you care about is wanting her to win the gold medal that you weren't good enough to win yourself. Mm. And so he confronts the dad and it's, it can be effective, the idea that, you know, out of the mouths of babes, he needs somebody completely outside of the situation to give him a new perspective. But the dad does change. He goes to the room where Nancy McKeon's still crying, Nancy McKeon crying even at 13 god she's good i mean really for realsies yeah um so the dad says i'm an idiot i never realized i was doing this to you your friend kevin is right and you know what maybe you'd uh, get a kick out of uh, not practicing and going to the disco tonight maybe you might be able to meet up with him and she's like oh oh dad could i really (laughs) right she whispers yeah it's weird but he says penny this is this is where we get into the true lifetime tv special next time we talk about the olympics i'll ask if it's something you want to do and she says all i ever wanted was for you to love me oh my god and he hugs her and says i do i do and that's how the story wraps itself up the only little thing i would have loved to have tweaked is i would have loved for dad and uh Stephen to somehow uh, fix each other. Maybe he does say something about, yeah, well, you're used to your parents not caring about you or something like that. I'm not sure if he says it, but the idea that he says you don't care about her and he's and have him and and then have the dad say, yeah, well, you seem to know a lot about parents not caring about their kids. You know, we do. We just show it in funny ways. And maybe if you'd stop being such a jerk to all the grownups around you, maybe you might give them a chance. Something I don't know. I well, wanted when
1: they, when they disembark. They do have that thing where it's like, "Here's our address." Like it's almost kind of he's like, "Our door is always open." Weird. <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> if but... you need a friend, and he shakes yeah. his hand. So I guess there is a little bit of that there, but in the scene, I guess this little part of me, as the as the grown up, have, having an ego response to the idea of a kid yelling at an adult without the adult saying fuck go fuck yourself yeah yeah, you, yeah you're right but go fuck yourself you don't talk to me that way <laughs> any so, um so yeah so the final thing all the scenes end up with them disembarking the ship and in this one the dad gives them the address and then says oh, i'm gonna go get a taxi or whatever you know i'm gonna give you guys a moment like he deliberately leaves them alone i'm like we've come so far dad and it's then 20 minutes yeah, and they don't kiss again. They just uh, hold hands and they walk out together, and uh, and that's how the episode ends. And uh, yeah, Love Boat nineteen seventy nine, folks. One of my favorite things to do with the Love Boat is watch
1: the extras in the back who are just other guests, <laughs> because like we watch it. I well, I don't know. Maybe other people do, but like when I watch a, a sitcom like Golden Girls. I will count how many steps it takes Dorothy to get from the kitchen to the front door. Really? Because it's always smaller than you think. And it only takes her like 10 steps to get oh, across. Her. And like, it looks like she's crossing a fucking football field when you're, you're right. watching on the TV. But really she's only taken like 10 steps from the kitchen to the, and like okay. I'll watch direction. Like all three of them are sitting on the couch together. Yeah, I'm like, can you imagine if you, me, and Paul Padilla were all hanging out together in your house and we were all three on the same couch? It'd yeah, be- shoulder I'd- to shoulder. Yeah. Uncomfortable. How are I- we
0: having a conversation? Yeah. No, you're right. You're totally right.
1: Uh, um, I watch those people and it's like, as an actor, you know, they're just day hires that have been hired for 50 bucks a day to wear a bathing suit and sit. You can't talk to each other. Mm-hmm. Of the sound, so it's a lot of just looking at each other and smiling and nodding (laughs) for fucking eight hours, like (laughs) with these literal strangers. It's not like you know each other. Oh no,
0: yeah,
1: you're just like showing up, and there's this guy that we're gonna have you talking to this guy here by the bar.
0: Yeah, I did notice one. Um, we went to the second scene when Nancy McKeon, or not Nancy McKeon, rather, is on the balance beam. In the left, lower left corner of the screen, there's a shirtless guy laying down doing bench presses on the weight machine. And of course, I was like, shirtless guy, I'm like checking that out, that hot 1979 body. But he's in okay shape. But if you look, he's using one of those weight machines. There's no pin in it. There's like, he's pushing one plate of weight, which is probably what, 30 pounds, if that or twenty, it's nothing. Any, any, I can. I am weak as a uh, weak as a bird, laying and doing a bench press with no, literally no weight on it.
1: You have to wonder if that actor was like, "Well, this is the wrong choice for me to actually be doing it for continuity." Now I have to do it for three fucking hours, <laughs> like, while they film this fucking scene. It's like cut. Ah, oh!
0: yeah. Oh, okay. <sighs> it's starting to burn. It's burning real bad. Maybe I shouldn't have put two hundred on that, but yeah. they're just fun
1: to watch because it, like it, you can really like feel the awkwardness like between some of them. It's just anyway, yeah. I enjoy no, watching. I, I, I hear
0: that, but you're talking about Dorothy with the nine or ten steps to the front door. That is something I've heard on the home makeover shows that when they film the same way, you know, like they say the camera adds ten pounds to a person. It's just the way it is that when they film a room, the lens they have to use to see as much of the room as you'd want to see, it always makes the room look huge, makes the room look vast. So decorators on the home makeover shows have to put more furniture into the rooms and bigger furniture that looks like it fills the space Yeah, that they decorated, like they were going to de- decorate for an everyday actual home that someone would live in. It would look like it was half empty. So well, that I, kind of tracks.
1: I mean, every person that you've ever heard is like that says, "Like, oh, I was at the filming for The Price is Right. What did you think? A lot smaller than I thought it was going to be." Yeah, and like you know, you go see the Tonight Show, and it's like, and it's in a room the size of like my living room. Yeah. You're like, oh well, it does stand. it's a fucking desk, and it's a chair, and it's two people,
0: and so anyway, yeah. No, that's 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 so true. Wicked true. It was fun, David. It was, <laughs> <laughs> even though you hated the show and you hated oh. making you watch it. But we've got something really exciting. I think, have we already decided, can we announce this and tell people to look forward to it, that next month we're going to do another episode of Different Strokes? Oh my God, that's exciting. Are Are you mocking me? Yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm more patronizing you, but okay. Okay. No. <laughs> yeah. Hold on one second i thought i heard a knock wait a minute oh see
1: david gets up and walks away listeners and it's like here matthew look at my bedroom look at this bed on which you shall never lay look at this bed on which you shall never lie
0: (laughs) what are you doing what Are you saying nothing what was it who's
1: knocking at your back door
0: no sadly nobody surprise um so uh yeah and um well i think it's going to be fun i think we're going to enjoy the different strokes episode much more than this and since we've already dissected and talked about the encyclopedia britannica history of the show previously we'll be able to, you know, limit it to only two or three hours. So, 2D Fruities, thank you so much for supporting the show. As always, we love you. We appreciate you. And it is now 2021. We can say we survive 2020. We hope that better days lie ahead or lay ahead, depending on what the correct way to say that is. But uh, yeah, so Matthew, I wish you... wonderful new year and i look forward to the many more shows we're going to be doing in uh,
1: 2021 happy new year to you and yorn
0: all right bye for now guys we'll talk to you next month